Hello there. there. Welcome to the very first episode of Star Wars, a theme between themes. This is an In a Galaxy spin-off show. You are entering another plane. A plane where we leave behind the logistical issues, canon continuity, and the Easter eggs. Only here are thematic ideas and symbolic imagery. You are entering a theme between themes. What's in here? Only what you take with you. Welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. Jacob, unfortunately, cannot be here with me. But never fear. I have two other guests on this show to help, hopefully, fill his void. Um, we have, from Octo Radio and its spinoff show, The Mandatory Creed, Alden Diaz and Tori Fox. Returning guest Alden Diaz and new guest Tori Fox. How are the both of you doing? Yay, good, good. I like that intro. It was very uh, Twilight Zone. It was hard for me to not do the little... <laughs> to be yeah. completely real, I was testing it out yesterday and I'm like, good. this sounds exactly like Twilight Zone. It does. It's good, though. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, uh, I felt like I was getting ready to hop into the old uh, Tower of Terror. There, I was get I could feel the the ride jitters coming on. Um, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for inviting us back. Uh, you know, oh, this time you. obviously the the pair of us, and we're gonna get into a nice heady conversation. But I'm, I'm excited. So um, I wanted to have Alden and Tori on specifically because it was one of Alden's comments on his last episode on the show that pretty much kicked off this idea. What is your favorite trilogy of Star Wars? Does it have to be trilogy of movies? What are you suggesting? Because I love the trilogies within the trilogies. I love the trilogies within the framework. Um, mm -hmm. Because if I could have like, if I could somehow, I love the, the, the trilogies that you can make. Like, the Ahsoka trilogy of, oh, yeah. you know, of Clone Wars, then her book, then Rebels, or alternatively, Clone Wars, Rebels, Rebels and Chapter Mandalorian. 13, Mandalorian, um, the Bo-Katan trilogy of Clone Wars, Rebels, Mando, um, the, you know, Ken Napsok calls it the boot of the Empire, that era, that 19 years, you know, we could, we could see something like Bad Batch solo, Rogue One, or I would say, um, I would say, one. yeah, I, I would go Fallen Order solo Rebels. And you can hear, of course, Alden saying about the trilogies, between the trilogies, I think he called it, uh, and that uh, got the wheels in my head turning, uh, and so I decided to start this little spinoff show. We're going to have many a guest on and many a theme. Um, or a character or all that um, that we'll be discussing. The point of this is um, that as much as I and Jacob love viewing Star Wars chronologically, it adds a really great tone to the universe. We also love um, watching things that you wouldn't think would fit together, but when you look at it um, together in this sort of kaleidoscope, I guess you could call it, um, taken, <laughs> taken separately, they may seem unrelated, but put together, they reveal a larger picture, as Grand Admiral Thrawn would say. So, um, I asked Tori and Alden to pick a character or a theme or something else um, that 
binds these episodes together, and they chose the theme of found family. Um, and they also chose these three episodes to represent the Star Wars theme of found family. We have uh, season one, episode three of The Mandalorian, chapter three, The Sin. We have episode two of season one of The Bad Batch, called Cut and Run, which at the time they sent this to me, I hadn't seen yet, which was a strange sensation, but okay. Um, <laughs> and finally, the 16th episode of the fourth season, the final episode of Star Wars Rebels, Family Reunion and Farewell, Part 2. Um, and so, uh, before we get into looking at those, I'd like to ask Tori as a new guest uh, onto the show, uh, give us a little bit of your background. How did you get into Star Wars? Uh, I'm one of those people, I don't have, like, a, a super fantastic story, uh, per se. I feel like some people are like, I remember the first time I watched Star Wars. Um, I don't. I was very young. My family was always really into Star Wars, so I just grew up with it. Um, but I will say, um, I've been very fortunate to grow up in the Orlando area, so, um, you know, partnerships with Disney have been happening for a really long time, even prior to Disney outright owning um, Star Wars and Lucasfilm and all of that. Um, so I've been able to kind of experience Star Wars in a very tangible way um, from a very young age, specifically through things like Star Wars weekends that they had and things like that. So that's kind of like the basis for my fandom is um, my family and them showing me the movies and taking me to theme parks. <laughs> also, I'd like to ask how you got into, you know, your shop creature cartel and, um, all of the Star Wars content creation you do. Exclude the Mandatorian Creed, because I want to ask that about that separately. So No worries. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, um, I've been making stuff for as long as I can remember. And um, when I got out of high school, really got into prop making and things like that. And I went to um, special effects makeup school because I was so inspired by uh, the creatures that you see on the screen, specifically in places like Star Wars or E.T. or the Universal Monsters. Um, so that was kind of a basis for me creating. And um, I was able to kind of transition that into the scenic world. Um, so working on things for theme parks and making uh, really cool aspects of theme parks come to life. Uh, so I've been doing that professionally and then kind of as a side thing occasionally when I want to make something and Creature Cartel just kind of happened that way. I was making, I made some things for some friends at um, Star Wars Celebration Chicago. It was my Japor snippet necklace, uh, the one that Anakin gives to Padme in Phantom Menace. People loved it. So I made a little storefront and it kind of sat there until uh, 2019 when COVID hit and I started you making the, the shop a living so that's that's kind of how it all happened it was all kind of an accident to be honest <laughs> but it's been really fun i've loved seeing the stuff you're making on there um moving into the mandatory creed i'm gonna just do a free-for-all with this one uh both of you in any order you want how did this happen how did the mandatory creed happen i've been loving listening to all of the stuff you're putting out on there how did that happen thank you um I mean, well, it's, was it was kind of like, hey, you want to do it? And I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> because, like, how did it happen is is one of those things where um, I don't know if any of you saw the movie Tenet, um, but it is, 
I'm not saying it's amazing. It's not one of my favorite Nolan movies, but what I do like about it is that the time travel in Tenet, this is going somewhere. This will be relevant to the answer. The time travel in Tenet is all about how certain characters, also they do this in Doctor Who as well um, with River Song, the character of River Song in Doctor Who, and certain characters that you're watching on screen are moving this way in time. Certain characters are moving this way in time. So some people are reaching the end of their story and some people are reaching the beginning of another story. And so things are always flip-flopping and things are colliding. And I feel like that's almost kind of what happened with Tori and I on this show where we both wanted to do something, but we were coming at it from different angles. And these ideas were happening independently. So I had been thinking in private, like not on Twitter, you know, not, not outwardly on the show, a while about wanting to produce a second show but not host it myself, wanting another show to be there that would get its own slate of guests, its own angles, its own topics and everything. And I had been thinking for a while, like I should ask Tori, I should ask Tori because Tori had already been on Octa Radio three or four times before that. And we had mold over before doing a couple different ideas together. Um, but it was all like, oh, maybe, you know, down the road and we had done some spitballing and stuff. But then, you know, I just all throw it over to Tori at the same time as some of this and, and, and publicly uh, she wanted to do a certain project on star Wars weekends. And so then that's when, uh, yeah, that was when you messaged and were like, Hey, you want to, you want to do, you want to make it a podcast? And I was like, sure. (laughs) Yeah. I think without any further ado, I think we should get into our first episode here. The sin. Um, I would first like to talk about the fortune cookie. Oh, dang it. That's the wrong show. Dang it. Okay. Oh, you, um, you just had your Clone Wars instincts take over? <laughs> yep. I actually, I, I legitimately wrote in my notes, fortune cookie is, oh, wait, wrong TV show. Okay, yeah. If this episode <laughs> did have a fortune cookie, I think that it should be get away from my son get in all away caps. from my son. <laughs> Hey, it, or it's that that clownfish me. Give me back my son. Where's uh, my son? <laughs> I will I will take up your challenge. Um, yeah. I don't know if you both saw with um, our last episode of Star Wars in the Galaxy. I edited some uh, fortune cookies that Jacob and I made for the movies onto mm. the Clone Wars thing. I will oh, edit I in that. in all caps. Get away from my son. Uh, I, it, it's it's gonna happen. Uh, actually. I want to ask one more question before we get into the actual analysis of the episodes. This is for the episode. Why did you both choose found family? I mean, I know why I did. I mean, I think my main reason is kind of superficial, uh, honestly, just because I feel like it was really on my mind with um, Bad Batch just, you know, starting to come out and, you know, kind of how the direction that that's all headed. I think that was kind of just, I, I was thinking already about the similarities between um, Omega story and kind of Grogu and things like that. Um, but I will also say in kind of contemplating this after we kind of decided on the theme, like I do really identify with the idea of found family, like personally in my life. So. Mm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, when we were talking behind the scenes about what theme to pick, I mean, it's something that comes up a lot on Octa radio and on the mandatory creed of just like how these characters um, how these characters come together in different ways and how, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, character relationships and callbacks and call forwards and like the tapestry type stuff. And then, you know, on, on Tory side of things, I would point a lot to 
uh, her conversation with uh, with Alyssa with Alyssa Bradley from Whimsy Design of how much we can see sort of like visual connections between people that aren't related um, through their legacies, through their lightsaber hilts, through what they're passing down each other, masters and apprentices and things like that. So it's it's just dripping, you know, from from literally the get of Star Wars. You know, there it it's not like it was something that came up a little later in New Hope or throughout the original trilogy, like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are right there at the beginning. And why is Leia on the Tana V4? It's because of her adoptive father. And so immediately we know that that's the crux of Star Wars. And, and you won't escape it. We'll never escape it. It doesn't matter if it's if it's scum and villainy or troopers or Jedi or creatures or whatever area is your area. It's there. I mean, even with, you know, this is not the Mandalorian episode we're talking about, but with uh, someone like IG and Quill. You know, like how he 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 nursed him and raised him and, and taught him new ways and taught him how to walk again and taught him how to how to be how to be more than just a killer. So yeah, it, it just it immediately when Tori was like, "We should do this," it it was like it wasn't a question of where do we start. It's how do we rein it in because there's you know there's so many. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, I I would just like to add that found family is one of my favorite thematic threads throughout the Star Wars when. Alden sent it to me. I'm like, I, I thought in my head, okay, so we're gonna jump in head first. We're not gonna do other things, and eventually we'll get there. We're gonna, we're gonna dive in, and I, I, I admire that. I admire that. It's weird because I still, like, I did the fortune cookie thing, like, as kind of a joke, but mm-hmm. it's, it's weird for me to jump into an episode without that now. So, um, I guess I'll throw it to either one of you for the first episode of the sin, um. Where do either of you want to start? If neither of you have anything, I can always start with an idea I have. Well, I, I'll, I'll go just because my perspective on this is a little bit, you know, so many of these things are about when you saw it, how you saw it, you know, sort of like where you were and that, at that time in your life. And I was lucky enough to see uh, the first three episodes of Mandalorian in a movie theater, back to back to back. And oh the so the cool. way that like yeah it's like coming that off of the child, awesome. yeah it was it was really really powerful because then it and and no one had seen episodes two and three yet so it, when it ends in the sin on the the Mandalorian covert all flying in that really did feel like the end of a movie so it was, it was really wild and coming off of the child you know you get the reveal that you know at the time Baby Yoda before we knew the child's name uh, was Grogu getting that reveal that it can use the force and getting that reveal that it is not a passive participant in the story, which is something that we'll get to with, uh, with Omega, uh, and Omega in, in cut and run. I love her so much. Yeah. She's Sorry, I, 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 but, I had to, I had to jump in there. I love her so much. No, 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 please. No. <laughs> I mean, that part, part of that she's is these kids. I mean, this was the episode. The, the child was the episode that let us see sort of, Grogu um, as an active participant wanting to heal Din and, you know, getting out of the pram and walking a little bit and things like that. Now we had to see that moment of the parent makes the choice. And, and so what we've laid out here sort of in our conversations behind the scenes is you get the parents making a choice, the children sort of affirming their place and then sort of how it all comes together. And that's something that you can sort of find throughout all of these in Star Wars. And so I think that what where I would like to start in this episode, with all that being said, is that Din in the cockpit of the Razor Crest 
about to leave, having completed the mission, but seeing that the little silver ball was missing and that being what triggers it is so quintessentially Star Wars. It's so George Lucas because it requires no dialogue. It's just a visual imagery of something's missing. Something's literally missing. And yeah. the fact and the fact that that's what that's what made him go like, damn, something is missing. Like the, I've only had this kid for a few days, but the kid should be here. And how that is what launches this entire sprawling story. So I think that that's why the sin is the perfect sort of kickoff in a lot of ways, because with other found families in Star Wars, you know, like we mentioned Queel and IG, we get that in a flashback. Um, and with like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, we get to see when they receive baby Luke, but we don't get to see, maybe we will in the Kenobi show, but we don't get to see conversations about, you know, them the next morning. Like, what do we do with this baby? Like, no, we have we, a know, baby. We were, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't ever really get to see the parents in that first moment. And this yeah, show Yeah, you don't have the intro. That, that ball, yeah. so to speak. In yeah. My yeah. Notes of this episode. Yeah. It's interesting to me because, you know, like that, that ball, for me at least, represents like kind of the playfulness of Grogu. You know, Din up to that point and still beyond that point is a mm. very, is, he's, a, he's a very serious guy. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a sense of fun to him yet. And it takes a while to build that sense of like, of playfulness, right. of joy, of, you know, but like that ball is... You know, we talk about the, um, yeah, I, I was just thinking to myself that, like, all three of these episodes have that one event that pretty much defines the, the entire episode, um, tying into Found Family. Uh, and, th the, and of course, this one is yeah. Din deciding to go back for Grogu and... This little kid came into his life and changed him. Right. Uh, yeah. And Star Wars, in, in these three episodes, we'll see that Star Wars is so inherently, not always, but positive about found families and the effect of found families. Often, that found family, it, that the family you gather beside you is stronger than who you're related to, than your blood family. No, I just had a thought, and it's something that I will probably bring up every time because when I was rewatching each of these episodes, um, of course, you know, our main focus of each episode, we have that, but it's interesting to see in pretty much every episode that we talk about today, there is like an additional example that's like a smaller one. It's not like mm -hmm. in your face, like it's not, you know, Din and Grogu, but you mentioned it already, um, the covert showing up, right? So, like, I love that that's kind of another layer to it. And, you know, of course, you know, they're not really there for him all the time. I mean, I'm sure if he wanted to go with them, they would be. But, you know, he kind of has a separate path at this point. But they were still family enough to be able to show up and help him out when he really needed it. And I, I love that. Yeah, you, Eli, you mentioned how sometimes these are stronger than our blood families. And sometimes that is with, you know, for better and for worse, you know, depending on who. Your, your blood family is sometimes, you know, people in Star Wars are forsaken by their blood family. Sometimes their blood family is the root of all of their pain sometimes, but sometimes it's a great thing. Um, but they lost to them. Like we'll get to with Ezra Bridger, you know, his, his parents are dead, 
Um, so he, of course he has to he has to build a new and he has to find something. But with the the covert and Din being sort of the backdrop of what's going on, it's it's weird to see sort of like that dynamic. That was sort of fresh, I thought, for Star Wars because he has this maternal figure with the armorer who's really enigmatic and you're not really sure if he's privy to everything about her but she seems really privy to everything about him so she seems like she's rearing din in a certain direction and is trying to take care of all of these people um and you're not really sure in those first couple episodes like is this a bad group of mandalorians is a good group of mandalorians and it's that them showing up at the end to help him save this kid and Mm -hmm. and forgoing the the secrecy of the covert because their secrecy, you know, is the survival. That was the whole, that was the whole Big thing. Step. Yeah. And then they blow it all willingly for this child and bring hell on the town after that. I mean, and, look at him. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. I mean, he's freaking adorable, it. but that tells you so much about them. I mean, what does uh, the armor say to Din when Din says, you know, uh, I will use the leftover Beskar for the foundlings, you know, to sponsor yeah. the foundlings. And she's like, of course, you know, the, the foundlings of the future. Like you, it's yeah. such a, such a rich sense of even more so than the Jedi, you know, which is an interesting sort of, whereas the Jedi are like, we need blank slate children. We need people that we can impart our ways onto. Whereas the Mandalorians the are like, we know exactly yeah the mandalorians yeah. are more like oh we know we all come from different places we're going to acknowledge that full front this is a hard life and we need to take care of the orphans because they're the future uh yeah. the jedi are, are way more are, are way colder at this point you know we've yeah. seen and obviously wonderful jedi in the past now but as they say in as um dan himself says in uh what is that redemption um uh the, um, the mandalorian way isn't a race it's a creed um, yeah. It's that passing on of what I was gonna say is I I thought about that um, the covert and I'm not sure if it's because of now having seen season two of the Mandalorian having seen the heiress or the found family lens or both I think it's probably because of both I have never been so scared by the phrase this is the way like you know we it became a humongous meme it became a humongous just fixture of like the star wars internet culture after the release yeah. of the mandalorian i've never been so scared because we see as Alden was saying a little bit before that like this is a toxic there are toxic elements of this found family there are element you know it's the whole you know the purification tests have you have you ever taken off your helmet has anybody taken it off for you we see later that Din forgoes that, but the idea that found family doesn't always have to be a good thing. Um, yeah. And even if they care about you, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily right. Like, yeah. it's not that the armor doesn't care about the people that are with her, but, but you know, like Bo-Katan uh, says. Culty, yeah. Exactly, yeah, but, but well, Bo-Katan's like, well, they're a like yeah, I'm intense, cold, but so they're freaks. Like, <laughs> yeah. What uh, which... to say though? Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just gonna finish up by saying that. It, so even though she may have, and and seems to have the best intentions of like wanting to keep them alive, it if if Din had stuck by her ways, 
maybe they wouldn't have gotten out of, you know, the Imperial refinery, you know, like sometimes you do need to break your parents rules, you know, which is, which I think is such a big idea in the sin is he breaks the bounty guild rules um, to do what he needs to do. Uh, but Tori, you were going to say. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, as we're talking, I'm, I'm actually I'm like having these thoughts as we're talking that like, yes, they're culty, but at the same time, I have to say, and it, and it, and it kind of ties back into what you were saying before about, um, you know, they recognize, you know, the foundlings of the futures, foundlings, 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 like adoptiveness is great. Um, but it's interesting that they are able to kind of realize, okay, Din's journey is going somewhere different and they can still be supportive of that. Like that's still pretty mm-hmm. cool. Even if they are a little. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, I love that you said that, you know, being, being supportive of someone else's path going a different way. I mean, that's something that we see um, peppered throughout all the episodes. I think that we're going to talk about, particularly the rebels finale is that, sometimes it is about letting go. And even though the armor isn't letting go of Din, the armor still considers Din part of the covert. This is his mission to return this child home. Uh, you are, you are as its father until it gets back to its people. That mentality still comes from a place of wanting the future to be okay and wanting people to be able to expand their horizons in, in ways that they need to. And we see that with Omega being allowed to leave Camino. you know, that, that Lamasu seems like well, it wasn't actually Lamasu. It was the other Kemino Nalase, Nalase, who was like, beep, boop, like let me let them, let me let them escape. Uh, sometimes you need to be able to, to take those chances. Yeah, yeah and also with um, kind of everyone, because actually I just watched the Rebels today. It had been a while, and um, I was well. I was crying by the way, but it's fine. Um, just them them being understanding like there wasn't because if that was me and Ezra just like bopped on out Ditched. of there I'd be like what the heck I'd be so pissed but everyone was just like okay like he has to do this it's his journey like very accepting very very nice very nice but I would be like yeah what the heck <laughs> yeah. yeah there's that um I, I love this um one of the things that I think is the, is the Mandalorian in general as a show's one of its greatest strengths is that even when the story doesn't work as well for me, which doesn't happen a lot, the execution of the story is always so well thought out and well done. Uh, mm-hmm. There's that line at the very beginning, which seems so inconsequential, but tells us literally everything we need to know about the episode, when uh, Din's receiving the hollow message from Grief Karga. I have no idea if he wants to eat it, or hang it on his wall. You know, there's that idea that Din didn't really ever know what was going to happen to Grogu. And I would point out, I'm not... I'm not uh, excusing the Empire here. I'm not doing that at all. They have Grogu in Imperial custody for, I'm gonna say, about the equivalent of two or three episodes. And he is, from what we know, completely fine. 
I mean, of course, because I'm down of universe reason is because I know several people in this fandom who would absolutely go on a rampage if anything happened to that precious child. That's but, me. <laughs> it's him. But but the reality is that you know oh that the, the Imperial Remnant never does anything to Grogu, and from what we know of their plan, which is very little, it doesn't seem to me as if they would do anything particularly harmful to the kid. Um, but Din doesn't care. Din goes back anyway. Din fights through all of those um, stormtroopers and Imperial Remnant troops anyway. And he does that because this kid's changed him. He, he does that uh, because uh, Slap's poster. Anytime I reference Last Jedi, I go Slap's poster. Um, he's saving what he loves. There's another thing I, I love too, which is a really interesting piece of symbolism that I only noticed this time around, which is that Din drops off Go Grogu at the Imperial Remnant with his. Uh, he drops off Grogu at the Imperial Remnant and almost immediately. Um, goes back to uh, save him. Except for one little detail. What does he do in between those two? Um, he gets himself uh, his new set of armor. He is literally becoming a new person. Yeah. He is he, he is get, getting a literal new coat of armor. Yeah. It's that change in him that I think is represented yes. so well. And what is that one of my favorite lines of dialogue it's not just that he goes and he says, I need a new armor. It's that he says to the armorer, uh, my armor has lost its integrity. I may need to begin anew. Yeah. It's like he's talking about his soul. Yeah. Like that's one of those lines. Mm -hmm. That's one of those lines that is so Star Wars and rich that if I'm John Favreau and I wrote that line, I would have been like, self five. Like, that's oh, yeah. just like, <laughs> like, you know, you're so proud of yourself. Like, oh, that's so good. Uh, I, first time I saw that line, I was like, this show gets it because remember the, the mandalorian is the greatest magic trick that star wars has ever pulled because all star wars up until the mandalorian was honest about what it was the mandalorian marketed and sold itself as not boba fett like that was kind of what the selling was like yeah. this is going to be a gunslinger a gunfighter the, the outer rim regions it looked interesting it looked great but nobody was actually being told what it was which is this it, really sensitive even, parenting even, story yeah yeah even, the, yeah. <laughs> even like you know even that same exact year kathleen kennedy was quoted as saying that they revealed palpatine's ed prince and rise of skywalker at celebration so they would not pull another baby yoda that was literally her exact wording yeah um yeah everything about yeah legendary and, and, and they, they pulled it off you know not having the the toys in production, not having anybody outside of the crew know, not it's having wild. any, like, it'll never get done again. I can tell no. you that. And well, I can't actually, believe that it worked out I the would, first time. I would actually argue that a similar thing has been done on the set of that very same show. Um, uh, with, with uh, Luke. With Luke? Yeah, it's true. That's yeah. true. That's that, a that, point. That, yeah, he didn't really. That's true. I don't think yeah, I that is they, 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 Everything on that show, it's incredible to me how everything on that show got leaked and Luke didn't. It was. Well, I feel like that's a, that operation. was definitely like a let the Hollywood reporters think that they figured everything out. You know, like those are, you know, Hollywood does a lot of like letting scoops go that are not what they consider to be paramount. But. 
Yeah. But yeah, like I mean, distraction. It, exactly. Yeah. Like they're like, ah, let them know that Ahsoka is going to be in the show because they have no idea what else we're going to do. So they'll think that they got this big story, but yeah. it was, um, yeah. I mean, so, so just tying back to, to everything with that integrity stuff. And like you said, the new armor, it's great that you brought that up because when he gets the full Beskar armor and he walks into the cantina after that, and he walks right up to grief. And that's when he starts saying like, do you know what they're going to do to the kid? Now he's acts asking questions that hunters don't ask. And grief even says like, that's not what we do. Like we have a no yeah, question. Him, him, and, uh, him and um, the client. The client. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. supposed to ask that question. How uncharacteristic for someone of your profession. That's really good. Thank yeah, you. Good I, I can't. I try that, to do it. I can't. I can't look at that man again without looking at that video of about speaking French. Oh yeah. That's great. Tori, have you ever seen that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. There's another thing actually in here, which is another thing I love about Star Wars, and this is a universal Star Wars thing. Um, and, you know, the idea that Star Wars doesn't do badass moments to do a badass moment. They never, like, there's never a, like, a cavalry arrives moment or anything. Anything any character has done badass in Star Wars has been for a reason. Um prime yeah. example of that is you know din tearing up that um the imperial remnant base that yeah. is that was i mean up to the the covert arriving later in the episode the most badass thing we had ever seen anybody do in that show um up to that point i'd argue point is that like he didn't do that because he could do that he did that yeah. because he had to save his surrogate son. He did that because. Yeah, it's he, all very you know the way that it uses violence and and all three of these episodes. I mean, you've got the Bad Batch, who are five of the most violent and badass characters oh, in Star Wars, okay. and then and then later on you've got uh, you know Ezra, who's no slouch, but he doesn't win by kicking Thrawn's ass. You know, so this these these episodes. Um, emphasize sort of those themes and I, and I like that Din in episodes one and two you know he's very shoot to kill like I mean we see what he does to that Quarren uh, at the beginning of the show and that shot that became the big trailer shot like he literally uses a door to chop the man in half whereas <laughs> in so this scary. episode he knows that Grief has the Beskar in his breast pocket so he shoots the Beskar you know and you could make the argument of maybe he did shoot to kill but I don't think that no, I don't, I don't think, think that, so either. Yeah, I think that I he did shoot. I think he, he shot him there on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Because he knew I, that grief didn't deserve to die. Yeah. I also like the idea of symbolism with that Beskar, is that grief got shot in the Beskar, which has already been a symbol of forging anew, so yeah. that he could forge anew in the later part of the season. Yeah, and that's something yeah. that I love about Grogu throughout is the way that Grogu changes everybody. I mean, grief was one way until Grogu healed him and saved his life. And then he was a grandpa. The yeah, then he's like, I can't. Like, I can't my grandchild. Yeah. Has he been treating Look at this you well? Precious little creature. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's the best. He's and the best. I really hope we see more of him. Yeah, like every single person. And again, like, 
theme between themes obviously we're meant to focus on these three but just as we as we tie it all together you know as we move back every single adult in this show with the exception of maybe gideon although you could argue that maybe he changed you know grogu changes gideon for the worse makes him more obsessed but din grief soka luke boba fett fennec Pelly. everybody Pelly, Pelly, oh, yeah. Pelly. <laughs> Everybody is is she elevated was playing, by this kid. She's playing you know? the the sabak with the the pit droids, but the, then she came to care for this little creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she got that that Cobb. those maternal moments, and and then even Boba Fett, you know, later on in one of my favorite moments ever with that character is when he's like, "Oh, we're not done." He's like, "What I said was until the child is safe." And that's when you're like, oh, Boba, you're a real one. Like that's when you're like, this 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 man is a, is a ride or die, homie. Oh. He's like, if Boba is is Grogu's uncle as much as Grief is yes, his grandpa. Absolutely, in my mind. absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I I agree. Yeah. Uh, I was there's. Shocked. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying. I was just shocked when he said that. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone's yeah. along for the ride, yay. Um, I just saw another. Thing I, mean, I know it's that I love, um, uh, that I'm, I surprised myself with figuring this one out. Um, I want to talk about another minor character in this episode that might also have to deal with some found family issues, and that is Doctor Pershing. Um, Doctor Pershing, <laughs> one of three Star Wars characters with glasses, ladies and gentlemen. Three. Oh man. Where are the other two? I'm trying to think. Wait, now I'm Tech. trying to figure that out. Tech. Tech. Doctor Pershing. Or, or- or, or as Omega calls him, Tick. 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 It's Tech, Dr. Pershing, and um, Josh Gad's character in Rebels, the Imperial Controller. Right. Oh, right, the right. Pablo Hidalgo stand-in. Yeah. Yeah, the Hidalgo. Yeah, Pablo Hidalgo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he's he got the uh, he's got glasses as well. So I always look for my glasses, people. Pershing is interesting, obviously, with the Kaminoan connection. I'm telling he made you. A, he made a deal with the devil. He made a deal with the devil and... You know, there's that there we see in this episode, and we see in the um, the rescue, which I also happened to watch recently again. Um, that this guy is not a bad guy. He is not. He is he he isn't evil like the client or Gideon is. He was. It seems like again, and I want to know his this guy's backstory because. It definitely seems like he was pro- he was promised X and he got Y. What those variables stand in for, you know, we don't know. But he, you know, he he. What the first thing he does when Din walks in, he's like, "I did not hurt hurt this guy." He makes a lot of his decisions out of fear of what will happen to him should he do otherwise. And I'm interested to see yeah. what promises Doctor Pershing was made and what. And how he got to the way he is, basically. Yeah, I hope, I hope we see more of him and we figure all that out. I, I can only assume so, because I feel like, especially with the Bad Batch, I feel like Camino is here to stay, story-wise, for a while, oh, even yeah. if it's physically present or not. I think it's, I think it's happening. I think we're learning more and more about all that. Um, but I agree. I think, I think Pershing is someone who, now, were these the right decisions? Probably not. But I think that he definitely was not down a clown with all of the with the whole picture. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. he's a man of science. I think he wants to, you know, do fun sciencey things 
and not hurt anybody. Maybe he's one of those people that was like, well, I can do whatever and or or they or I can refuse and they kill me or I do it and maybe I do it in my own way, which will hopefully minimize damage to other people. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think it's interesting, again, that whatever his backstory is, the connection to cloning, be that the Grand Army of the Republic or maybe a different Camino project, because there's always that great little George Lucas seed of Lama Su saying one of the finest we've ever created. You know, so it's like there's plenty other of other clones out there that are not Django clones, it seems. Yeah. And the fact that that is always out there, like, could lead to so many other families. And like, we're about to talk about cut and run as the second episode. And so much of that is these, these lines being blurred uh, between familial roles and not in a game of Thronesy way. It's not weird. There's no, uh, <laughs> there's no, there's no dad uncles or, or girlfriend aunts, but there are, um, you know, like Hunter is, is, is just her father and her brother, you know, like cut, is her brother and her uncle <laughs> like the, these these people are, are bound in so many different ways based on their ages and experiences and roles and, and and the level of individuality that they've embraced and so Pershing could open up um you know like there are people that still subscribe to the belief that Grogu is, is a clone of Yoda and I don't believe that but um yeah. I hope you not know, I don't like that yeah I, I don't like it, it either, but I it, I get the same reaction to to that 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 I get by thinking that by people saying that Omega is a failed clone of Palpatine. It's like yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah no. but like what would that Boo. do? Yeah, I don't care that they have the same little hairstyle. I don't care. Yeah. Say, like, like, also, the, the Om- accent. Omega changed the, her hair anyway. Like, come yeah. on, she's a, she's yeah. A, yeah. I, I, we could talk Omega theories um, on and off the air, but I, it's definitely. It's rooted in in Django for sure. Oh yeah, um, yeah, I think, is what so. I, think. I think so. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm trying yeah. to think if there's anything else I have on the set. Yeah, I was I about think. to say, are we just gonna go go into cut and run? Seems um, like a smooth transition to me. Yeah. Boom. Um, before we before we get into cut and run, I would just like to point out that I think a completer experience of this episode, if you have not listened to Star Wars in a Galaxy, let me look at the episode 42, um, A Lesson of Choice. I would encourage you, if you have not before this part, to go listen to um, at least a part of that that covers the deserter because, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've talked a little bit about Cut and Run on the show because of our Bad Batch mini-reviews before our episodes. But the deserter is an episode that means so much to me in the grand scheme of yeah. Star Wars, and it's great. cut and run. It, it's a weird dilemma I had with cut and run. I'm like, you can't, it can't, it can never like do what the deserter did because the deserter was so singularly unique. But if there was ever a satisfying sequel to that, this is this is good. I, I like this. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'll again turn it over to both of you. Do you have anywhere to start? I can always start if I'll start. Um, I it, first of all, it was great seeing uh, Cut and Sue again. I love them so much. Um, but no, this oh, episode, it was great seeing it was great seeing Sue again. So, I was so excited. I love her so much. I was like, oh my god, they're going <laughs> there. So um, it was so exciting. But uh, I, I looked up Sector J nineteen after that first episode. I'm like. 
No! They're not doing Salute! I mean, I knew from, like, various photos from the trailer that they could be going to Salute My Balloon. Oh, yeah. Salute No, they're... They're not doing it! They're not! They're doing not. it. They're doing it. And, and, and then they touch down, and I see the farm, like... <gasps> so my mind's about to be blown again! <laughs> Very exciting. Um, but I really enjoyed that episode for the found family reasons, because, of course, on the surface, you know... Um, there's Omega and kind of something that I find really interesting in all of these stories, um, is in, in the three that we're talking about is that, um, they all focus around like, yes, found family, but the idea of like a choice. Yeah. So someone choosing this path for themselves that maybe isn't like the most easy path. So you have that with Mando, he's kind of ditching his old, his whole fun <laughs> bounty hunting life and kind of going to become a dad. And then it's kind of the same thing in this episode, only it's kind of a reversal of, um, and while I do think that Hunter and the gang are choosing to be with Omega, I think that was a choice. I think they really like Omega. Um, this is ultimately, this episode's ultimately about um, Omega making the choice for herself of where she's going to go. And if she's going to stay with the people that she really wants to be with, as opposed to going with, Another family who's nice, they're great. I mean, Sue's the best. I want Sue to be my mom. But um, she feels very drawn to this pack of of weird men. <laughs> to, the, to the Ninja Turtles of Star Wars. <laughs> to the Ninja Turtles of Star Wars. She <laughs> feels Ninja very drawn Turtles. to them. Um, and that's awesome. And she's able to make that choice. And it's big. And it's it's it was really cool to kind of see that almost role reversal from what you maybe see with, like, Mando. Um, but yeah, I love that. Okay, Alden, to your credit, I'm never calling them the Star Wars X-Men again. I'm calling them... No, the it's the Ninja, yeah, it's the Ninja, <laughs> the Ninja Turtles, for sure. But yeah, so in, in this one, you know, just building off of, of Tori introing this episode of talking a little bit about, you know, what you said so perfectly there about uh, making that choice and how parental figures need to do that. We see that in the sin, but how the children also have their own agency in Star Wars. You know, they also choose to find their tribe and they choose to honor their parents in certain ways. I think Leia is a great example of that, of how Leia is. She's a little bit of Bale, a little bit of Brea, but also very much Anakin's daughter and very much Padme's daughter and how she chooses to put forth what she wants to be. Omega needs to make that decision here too. And Omega can choose um, the path between, and I know that Dave Filoni isn't as hands-on with this one credit to, uh, head writer Jennifer Corbett and uh, supervising director Brad Rao. But one thing that I know Dave loves is Lone Wolf and Cub. And in Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, the son is placed before his father, and he's like a he's like a, he's a baby, like eighteen month old, two year old, and the baby is given the choice between the sword and the ball. If you choose the ball, that's the child's way, and I'll kill you, and you can go to the afterlife and be with your mother. If you choose the sword, then you're with me in this life. And I think that this is obviously less dramatic than that. You know, there's not going to be any samurai killing of babies, but Omega has to look at her life and say, do I choose the child's way? You know, she tries to learn to play. She really does try to learn to play. She doesn't really understand it. And, and that's why she gets her into the trouble with the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gets <laughs> she gets into the trouble um, where Sue has to go on the roof and start shooting at the next Sue. But there's the other choice, which is danger, which is running, you know, through the the 
imperial port trying to get the the chain codes and everything that's happening and she chooses that path and grogu had to make that choice in his own ways almost a couple of times you know so it's not a one-to-one every time but no yeah i think that and yeah but it was it was very, and also he's also a, a different omega is a older kid and grogu is a baby so it's a little and also but. star wars often has characters learning the same lesson more than once it's for sure you have to keep making that choice i mean that's yeah. that's the whole thing with qui-gon like you turn to the light because it's there it's something that you do all the time yeah um which is something that I, I i really appreciate about this and i also thought that it was important to talk about uh, and I'll throw it over to you, Eli, because um, it's your show. Uh, but also because, uh, <laughs> also sorry if I, if I no, we're like good, I'm... we're good, we're good, we're good. I, I but, some, uh, I've been sometimes forgetting, so that's a good reminder. <laughs> no, 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 but just that the tossing it over to you because you mentioned you know your great discussion on on the deserter having cut be the one in Hunter's ear that's like, hey, being a dad is hard. And you're not going to be able to, you're not going to pick this up. Battling like a droids mission, was easy you know? compared to ra- raising a kid as one of those. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And the fact that it's important that Tarkin says, and that they, they established a couple times, the Bad Batch have 100% mission completion. Yep. They, they, they are undefeated on the battlefield. They've never lost. They've never not completed a mission. And so you have people that have every reason to be the most confident about everything they do. And this little girl is making them look like idiots. We see their battlefield effectiveness firsthand in that first episode on Anaxes. But yeah, they they can't um, they can't raise this, you know. I, I actually put it in a different direction, um, which is that th- that little speech that Yoda goes on to Luke and Empire when he says, um, if you do what Vader did, if you choose the quick and easy path, you will become an agent of evil. It's the, you know, with the sword and the ball analogy, it's the it's the easy path. That's another thing that ties into all three of these. It's the easy path versus the hard path. And they yeah. choose the hard path every time because it's the more rewarding one in the end, and they know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also like your decisions, like Luke in Empire, if Luke, you know, chooses the quick and easy path, we see what happens you know Boom, he makes vader, yeah. yeah his vader helmet and then later on the losing of the hand like if omega chooses the the easy path here which might be more compassionate might be more lovely might be more caring going with cut and sue and and being adopted by them essentially she's she doesn't realize this yet and neither do we as the as the viewer we get an inkling of it but who's to say who's to say that fennec shan doesn't show up and kill Katsu and and the kids, you know, who's to say that Lamasu or Tarkin or Admiral Rampart, any of these villains don't go after them. You know, she she needs to choose the hard path because the hard path is, you know, is in an ironic way, ironic, uh, ironic. ends up being ends up being the path that can protect her, you know, and not putting other people in the path of danger. Yeah, um, um, I warned. I warned Alden about this in my uh, direct messages to him. It's time, um, because I it's a specific parallel with the show um, that a lot of people were talking about, and I want to kind of delve into that deeper meaning of it, which is um, when Omega touches the dirt, 
you know where I'm going with this. It's the that line from Ray in The Force Awakens. Um, I I never knew there was this much green in the entire galaxy, and mm-hmm. both of those show the same thing, which is that it's how it's how found family changes you. You know, we talked yeah. about how you know how Grogu changed then. This is the opposite way around. How the elders changed. Yeah, you know, it's like it's why um, you know. members of Omega has no blood family she was raised with the Kaminoans and the clones who I guess are like kind of her blood family but like you know they've become faceless until now you know if if Rey had her if if everything had worked out the way things were supposed to for Rey she was going to be raised in what was essentially a Sith cult Uh, yeah and you know, Ray Omega chooses the batch the same way Ray chooses Ray Skywalker as her name and her path because they because Omega members of Omega's found family treat her like she is, not like what she could be. Just the same way Ray's found family right. treat her. Like She's not she just is. part of an experiment. Yeah. to Tarkin or to Lamasu. Um, yeah, so I, I see that as well. And I, you, you made me think with the, I never thought there could be so much green. Who is the elder with her in that moment? It's Han Solo. And what about Han Solo's moment with Beckett, where Han says, I'm not sure if he said tribe or family. And Beckett says, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. That's where that idea starts for Han. And that gets passed down in a lot of ways down yeah. to Ray yeah. and, and to, yeah. I, oh, it's, it, it's such a, an underrated moment where like Beckett, not the best guy, but he at least philosophically did understand uh, yeah. <laughs> how to, how to have a crew. He's with, a with complicated Rio. person. No. He's a complicated yeah. Person. Yeah. He did. He, did he kill or sayings, you know, the reports. Fall he didn't. I don't trust him. I don't trust Tori. Tori would, Tori would disagree. I don't fucking know. There's nobody. I haven't seen anything. Yeah, hey, I, I hey, for hey, Aura would definitely kick Beckett's ass in a fight. So yeah. for sure, but, well, I've learned sure. firsthand but, in Star Wars: unless there's a body, you cannot prove anything. And even then, there's negotiation. There's room for negotiation. Yeah. yeah. Even then, yeah. Sometimes you get Maul. Who I was going to say Maul. Literally, I, I was half. hoping it's we were going to get through this without referencing that guy. Apparently not. Yeah. We're good. It's it's fine. Overall, with with a lot of these things, you know, I, I like what you brought up there about. Yes, they're the blood family, but no, they're not. You know, when you go to the first episode of Bad Batch, but then, you know, really more so this one, it's this interesting sort of inverse where most of these found families, whether it's Ray and everyone she meets in the sequel trilogy, whether it's Ezra and the ghost crew, um, Han, you know, and, and Luke and Leia and everybody, those are all really traditional found families where it's like you are finding what you need, but not necessarily where you belonged scientifically but like omega kind of rides that line of both where it's like you you do belong with us thematically but you also belong with us because you are the unchristened member of the bad batch you're the the other enhanced clone like you should be here so there's a little bit also of uh not just finding yourself but also embracing um your truth and sort of like your weirdness and everything where 
you know, like with, with Ray, I see that connection because Ray was meant for nefarious purpose and everything like that. And, and all of that stuff that's been, that's been expanded upon, but it's not like Ray went to the Sith cult and was like, like, we could be friends. Like she didn't redeem the Sith cult uh, and find her place with them. But the Bad Batch, they are the freaks that she was meant to sit with at the lunch table, which she literally does uh, yeah. in that first episode. And to, so it's it's interesting to see sort of how um, they have parallels between her visually, how she's, I mean, my theory, and I know that Tori and I've talked about this, Eli, I don't know about you, but my theory is that she's a mimic kind of like Taskmaster in Marvel. I think that she is able to use all of their abilities because she has this technical aptitude. She has accuracy I, with the first time she ever uses the blaster. I, I like the idea yeah. that he, she's like a combination of all of them. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm i going to throw out a very hot take here. Um, I think that I I get around, I, I come around to it, but I think, I, I'm, I think I'd be against if they made her fourth sensitive. I think it's the... Yeah, I don't think they need yeah. to do it again. Yes, yeah. Because the thing is, is like, and Tori and I have talked about this again off the air too, and I'll let Tori speak on it here. Uh, oh, yeah. It's it's re- it's really close at this moment to the Grogu storyline, and if you did yeah. that, it would be one step too far. It's That's very close, well. yes. And I would be remiss in this conversation, which we're gonna kind of, I mean, you know, in talking about rebels, you know, of course there is Hera. A, a more like motherly figure but you know star wars really does really does mom's kind of dirty most of the time so it'd be nice to see a story like this that's maybe has a mom involved um again i think i do think omega story is hopefully headed in a far different direction than grogu's but you yeah it, it's very very similar um and also piggybacking off of the talk about you know force sensitivity and cloning and things like that um I'm interested to see where this is going, but yes, I think if you brought in the force sensitivity, it would be a little too much. And as I've said a million times, I, I don't I don't mind the Jedi, it's fine, but we we can have stories that are not fully centered on I the love the, I'm the biggest Jedi fanatic, but I cannot have another force sensitive kid story right now. I don't I don't want to do that. Um the, yeah, I, the, the minute <laughs> I was I was enjoying Aftermath quite a bit, but the minute that um Omega shot Crosshair's blaster out of his hand. I'm like, stop now. I can yeah. see where this could go. Stop it. Stop it. Um, yeah, it has somewhere to be out the there. Thing. I, I have to hold out hope that it's the mimic thing. I, <laughs> somewhere yeah, out there, Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> like um, Dave does. Yeah, I, no, or, or, he goes, I, or, or he does the Dave thing when he goes, interesting 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 yeah i um i'm i'm right there with both of you again i'm I'm a jedi jedi force fanatic as well Eli. but it's just you know you got to mix it up and you got to tell um a couple different stories and i agree uh a big point like tori said is to get to get some sort of maternal figure involved um that is not necessarily you know again we love some of these moms and some of them for story reasons um things had to go the way they went like with me but there are some of them that definitely could have carried on and perhaps should have carried on and there are ones that are great but they pop in and then we don't see them again like vanisa doza is a character that i ride hard for who is a mom that is there and lives and is great but then we don't have more stories in that era so it's like wait come back like Hey, hey, um, everyone, more, more, more hey, everyone, 
in, in my millionth plug for this, if you have not seen Star Wars Resistance, go watch Star Wars Resistance because it is, in my opinion, the unsung hero of like the new Disney Star Wars canon. It, everyone yeah. can talk about your Last Jedi's and your Rebels and all of that. Everyone that yeah, everyone Resistance I've seen that watches it loves at. it. So. And I, I was I was a bit did and like it. And I was a bit. I don't think I've I've been as, as I've been a bit slow. To, I was a bit slow. I watched. I think I watched everything by the time season two had like just wrapped. But like, man, so so much good stuff, and it gets so goes to so many interesting places. Here's another thing I found interesting. Another Omega and Ray quick parallel. Both of them, by the situations they've been raised in, Ray was abandoned. And Omega didn't seem like she received love of any kind on Kamino. They search for unnecessary validation into their found families, even after it's clear that they care for both of them. There's that line um, in here. Where was it? Oh, yeah. Um where she says what was it yeah she um at i'm trying to remember when when this is in the episode um i was not very helpful to myself in pointing where this is where she asked she just simply asked them did i do something wrong um yeah and there's that line from beginning of skywalker i will earn your brother's savior you don't need uh, and and you know everyone is like, why are you? Why do you want to earn Luke's saber? You 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 have already you've already gotten there. But Ray and Omega don't believe their place yet. It's as as a result of their upbringing, they don't believe their they don't believe their own hype yet. Yeah, Which, and the, and that's you know the the Kevin Owens are so cold. You know, it's not yeah. that they're bad, but it's just like it's a cold. It's sterile. It's I was uh, say it's like a hospital. Yeah. yeah, it's just a, a, a monotonous existence. And I know there's and... that Lucas uh, explanation about the whole they can see in ultraviolet colors thing. Yeah, that's cool for canon lore stuff, but like I, yeah, <laughs> the the, coo- the cooler idea is that they are su- su- such these emotionless, like you know, right? Cloners. No, it's true, scientists. and and I think that the. Uh, you know, tying in with that sort of like the last thing that I wanted to bring up about the episode is that this episode does a great thing with the entire Star Wars universe, which is the idea of it, it's not, it doesn't introduce chain codes because Mandalorian did that, but in, it chronologically introduces chain codes and well, it in Mandalorian. Yeah. And it expands on them because in Mandalorian, we hear chain codes and we're like, oh, what's that? And then you're like, oh, I guess it's kind of like a driver's license. This episode shows you that it was a tool of fascism. Yeah. The ch- ch- chain codes was like you you don't just register and 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 you have one. Like you are forced to register. They that's how they or convert you're not your going money. anywhere, yeah. Or you're not going anywhere, you can't board yeah. things. And so when you get the client um and give you know in grief giving him the mission to find Grogu, the only part of Grogu's chain code that they have is his age. And so that's how they know that he's 50 years old, which is interesting because it, it it raises questions of like, Species why does Grogu have an, yeah. but anyway. that, but also like, why does Grogu have an incomplete registration? It's like, did he get rescued while somebody was trying to 
register him at the temple. Like there's a a lot of cool, interesting story stuff that you could do there. Mm -hmm. But what I like about it is that Omega has to make this choice building off everything. The three of us have said right as you know, 10 feet away, people are registering and getting their identities stripped essentially and being reduced to numbers is that this is all happening and amidst this situation, she's got these fake chain codes and that's the whole plan with tech and we need to get cut and Sue out of here so they can avoid having this happen to them. And that's when she makes the choice. And that's the, that's the great thing about the transition from Clone Wars Empire, which is why I resent it when people say, this is just Clone Wars season eight. It's like, Ugh, no, it's not. No, it's, it's a, not. Se- it's a sequel. It's a sequel to Clone Wars. Bridge. It's a bridge. Clone Wars season seven ended. The Clone Wars ended. That was the point of the ending of the show is that it ended. Yeah, that's it. Or else they would have just called this the Clone Clone Wars. Wars People would have been hyped. Why would you? you You're not going to get rid of a name that makes money. Um, So it's like Vader's last scene in Clone Wars is so essential because he's at the grave site, not just of clones that he knew. But he's at the gravesite of the clones that stood by Ahsoka, painted their helmets orange, that embraced what they wanted to be. And he's there with stormtroopers who are automatons. It's yeah. about the death of individuality, this entire era. So by the time you get to Solo, Jedi Fallen Order, Rebels, and Rogue One, those four stories that help make up this era too, you can see that it's your Saw Gerreras and your Cal Kestis and your Ghost Crew and your Cassian and Jin and Chirrut, these characters are all under the thumb trying to be themselves. And that's the life that she chooses here. The, the idea that they're creating fake identities for Omega and that Omega yeah. very nearly chooses a, a literally fake identity. Noticing like smaller story beats that's still connected to that larger like found family story. Um, I thought it was really fun that of all people that they went to go visit it was cut and sue because that is a prime example of and and what alta said earlier which i feel like i'm gonna butcher the way in which he said it but essentially like there are and it's kind of like the same thing with the covert right of like you have this network that gives you what you need to survive but it doesn't mean that that's the right path for you like maybe spiritually there is something else that you need to go do or someone else you need to go meet and like that's exactly how it is with cut like cut was a clone he had an entire clone family but said oh nope time to time to cut and run you know Oh, oh, man. Oh, man. And what's great about that that I love is that I think that's why you don't have a scene of... Because I thought that when Omega ran back to the Bad Batch, I thought we would get a scene of Cut and Sue being like, oh, no, the kid, like, ah. But Cut would understand that. Yeah. You know, Cut Cut would be like, ah, she's like me. You know, she's she's an individual. And that's why... I think when I first watched the episode, I was like, are they just going to let her go? But yeah, of all people who would understand the most, it would be him. I I had this little bit of resentment for Echo um, in that episode because he was like, um, you know, people are, um, uh, before our, we were trying, the clones were trying to get our uh, individuality beyond the numbers. And now that people are signing up to give get numbers, I'm like, stop it, Echo. That's our job, not yours. It's our job yeah, to do the honestly. deep enough. It's not yours. Honestly, he Stop got it. Totally, totally uh, the writers analyzing their own story, but yeah. not in a not not in a way that 
Yeah, not in a way that's unearned. Echo to me, Echo to me is still in that process of like finding his place. He does a lot of thinking out loud. Yeah, I think he's in like disbelief of everything that's happening. Just like visiting, yeah. like like visiting. If I were Echo, what we visit deserters now, and he's like, yeah. like we're deserters too. Like the last thing I can think of in the episode is just the lingering sort of and how poignant it is for Omega, who maybe doesn't, who maybe doesn't even know Rex, but you know the other guys definitely do. Is that? Uh, Cut is like, oh yeah, Rex. He was here yesterday. Uh, you just missed him. Like they are following in the path <laughs> of Rex, who is the, who is truly alongside Gregor and and Wolf, who is truly the last vestige of this clone brotherhood by the time of Rebels. And and he's literally in the episode we're about to talk about, just as an old man. Yeah, um, that's a great segue. Yeah, so they see, man, segues. You just gotta. You know. This is why um, this is why a scene between scene works. A scene between teams works so well because just you know. Yeah. You just. Yeah. But yeah, I, and I didn't even I didn't even do that intentionally. I forgot. I was like, oh yeah, Rex is in the, in, in the Rebels finale, but yeah. yeah, like they're they're following in this path and trying to figure out how to be. And we're not talking about uh, the Fennec episode, but the Fennec episode is really them having to learn how to be scoundrels a little bit. Like we do have to lie, cheat and steal our way in this new world. Uh, we can't, we're not military. We can't just show up and be like, we're clone force 99. Like people don't care anymore. And they can be hunted down. They, you know, they're fugitives. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that excellent segue, do we want to just go to rebels family? Reunion yeah. Let's well, do it. Yeah. Um, yep, I'm down. So, one of the things, I, if I can just start off the bat, that I love um, is that, you know, we have that, um, we, I, as I talked about before, we have those defi- defining events in the three. We have the, uh, in uh, the Senate's Din going back for Grogu. In, um, in Cut and Run, it's uh, Omega deciding to go with Batch. I think we kind of have two, but the one I really focused on was Ezra's confrontation with Palpatine mm-hmm. in the remains of the temple. And I like the idea. I, I love this idea that. Oh, and by the way, uh, props to both of you for having an episode that literally has the world between worlds in it for the first episode of the theme between themes. That's that's good. I like that. Um, that is true. Uh, that Ezra that that Ezra rejects his blood family for his found family that he realizes you know the implication there and of course we don't really know what would have happened if ezra stepped into whatever palpatine was planning for him but you know if we take it at absolute face value what would have happened is that ezra would have never become a jedi the rebellion would have never gotten as far as it had under the ghost crew and in that moment ezra is choosing his his the family that he's made um yeah mm-hmm. yep yeah. that choice again making it, that it, conscious it's, choice it's that choice again um and i and- think that you know the reason why we wanted this one last and why i think it works is you know we like we said you've got the parental choice the child's choice and then this is coming together and letting go this is sort of like the culmination of all of those That's where interesting. ezra has to say which he learned with Ahsoka in the World Between Worlds episode, the actual episode of World Between Worlds, oh, a world it's like you could, you could, yeah. you could give in to temptation. You know, maybe he can do it. Like maybe obviously, we don't trust Shiv. Yeah, you know, we don't, 
we don't trust Sheev, but maybe he could have he could have gotten Kanan back. Maybe he could step through that portal there and and go into the to the to the kitchen of the living room or whatever with his parents. You know, maybe maybe he could. We don't there's, believe it, but maybe that, he could. There's that gift from Last Jedi that I'm thinking of right now. It's the DJ. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, but it doesn't. But it 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 would undermine your lessons you know like what you've what everything that everybody has sacrificed including your blood parents including kanan has led up to this point where every single character now is at their strongest point of unity you know they believe in each other you know which is what you know tori what you touched on earlier that everybody how you joked like oh, i wouldn't be able to let him go as easy as they do but it's that beautiful moment with chopper where chopper opens the air vent for him uh in this finale to let him go um and i think that might be in part one um but in any case yeah in any case it's it's that that chopper and hera and sabine and zeb at this point are saying if we've truly done right by him if he really is our boy if he really is um everything that we've believed that he is and everything that we've loved about him for these four years then it's gonna work you know, this is this is about believing in in blind faith almost in yeah. your in your family, which everybody sort of gets to that point. And everybody, every found family is tested in that way. And and you know, we've referenced IG and Quill as sort of just an example, but e- even in that moment, it's that Din doesn't trust IG and Quill says, Do you trust me? And he says, Well, yeah. And he's like, Well, then you'll trust my work. And that's sort of what we're able to see here with this family is that Hera and everybody letting him go and him being able to beat Thra- uh, Thrawn by echoing Kanan's sacrifice, you know, literally the choreography being the same of one arm in front of the other arm and, you know, using the force and, and trusting uh, in his own connection. You know, it was this family that got him to open up to his connection with animals and everything that we see with Ezra throughout. So it's just, it's to me, it's the perfect moment of, everybody plays their part everything works out and then how does it end in an open-ended way but with sabine saying you know sabine now an older woman we're not sure how much older but um believing that it did work you know that it did work out for him i'd like to there's a lot of like just incredible lines with palpatine here Mm -hmm. like Ian, Ian McDermott again. He never has to go this hard, but he always does. Um, no matter no matter where he is, he just does that for us. us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just he just he just he just knocks out part of every single time. Um, there's that uh, there's that um, when he's tempting Ezra, he goes, "This is what you want, isn't it?" Which is a uh, now I just realized the parallel back to Return of the Jedi when he looks at Luke's lightsaber, he goes, this is what you want, isn't it? And yeah. I love that Ezra is tempted by what he wants, but realizes that as is the way of the light and the dark and the balance between the two, it's not what he needs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's yeah. a couple other ones in there. The gateway will not be open forever. I'm like, of course it won't be, because the dark side always wants that quick and easy path. Um, the final one I love, which is like again, there's no way they know they knew about this, but like it's just so good. Um, when Palpatine says to Ezra, "This is the one that blew my mind." 
so few have the choice to live the life they want. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I go back to the end of Ray Skywalker. Who are you? Ray. Ray Skywalker. I'm like, how ironic, isn't it, that Ray, that Palpatine's own granddaughter is one of the few that makes the choice to live the life she wants. Like, that's, that's, that's like, there's no way they could have known that because of how the writing inter- interfered and all that kind of stuff, like, and how everything was structured, but like, it's, that's really good. I, I really it's also like that, that. The, the irony of Palpatine is that he's he's a very um he projects a lot you know he projects probably the only other person that projects as much as he does is anakin you know and he so few get to live the life they want is because he has constantly been thwarted up to this point even with you know 20 plus years of imperial rule he still hasn't achieved what he wanted and he'll constantly be on that that quest to immortality until literally he's dust and so it becomes this interesting sort of uh, telling on yourself moment, which I love, and what's cool about Ezra in that moment, you know, obviously it's it's the, the choosing of the found family in our big theme here, but it's that he knows he has to echo the people. Uh-huh. It, <laughs> he has to echo the people in in that found family. I just got that. You know, where where like obviously I, we could have long conversations about each of these, but just to break it down real quick, Canaan is the obvious one, you know, gave his life for the family, mm-hmm. gave, you know, every, every, everything that he had going back to, let see in the pilot of the Bad Batch, um, all the loss that he's had, being able to put the cause above himself. Hera has had to, um, Hera's had to ch- choose between the rifts in her blood family with Cham Sandula and her found family to be able to better the cause. Mm-hmm. Same with Sabine, who was the pariah from Clan Hello. Ren. Mm-hmm. And, and and House Vizsla and how she had to do all this stuff. Same with Zeb, who was thought to be, he thought himself to be one of the last of this broken, you know, race that was genocided by by the Empire. And then even Chopper, who we thought was just a cranky droid, but then we find out came from a crashed Y wing in the Clone Wars. And he has that great moment where he's just looking at the crashed ship, and Ezra's like, "What's up with Chopper?" And Hera says. Well, he, he, you know, we picked him out of a, of a crash ship and that's where he came from. And so you're like, oh, even Chopper has PTSD. He's a war veteran. Ezra has to bring all of that together. Everybody else, either before the show or in the show, has made that hard choice. And we scooped this kid up and now it's his turn. And so, you know, it, Filoni went hard in season four promotion and interviews talking about how Yes, we've told you, you know, the, the stories of many characters, but this is still the story of Ezra Bridger at the end of the day. And this was the moment where Ezra from being space Aladdin all the way up to everything else that he would be, like it ends definitively here, which I thought was uh really cool. There's another thing I was gonna talk about. Oh, this is a really good one. I love this little idea that you know, of course, the the found family that Ezra builds over this, um, over the the entire course of the show, is the Ghost Crew. But what if it wasn't the only found family he built? I like the idea that another one of Ezra's found families that he goes back to over and over again, whenever he has a chance to whenever they're not on the run whenever they want to um you know whenever they want to 
not not they want to whenever they have a vantage point and they can run the missions they want to run almost always Ezra is drawn to Lothal back to Lothal and it yeah. has this great connection with I feel like the people of Lothal are another bound family for Ezra because he changes them because I mean of course the ghost crew does a monumental thing in getting the Empire off Lothal, but what do we see right after Ezra's gone? The people of Lothal rising up to, you know, take down the Empire in that in that crazy sequence where they fly over and we see the stormtroopers coming out. Um, I also like I forget who it was. I it was one it was I think it might have been Alden, it might have been Tori though. About the idea that, you know the ghost crew has it's not just the Chopper, Sabine, Hera, and Zeb of the past four seasons. They they have that expanded ghost crew. They have Rex, they have Wolf, they have Gregor, they have Ketsu, they have Hondo, they have Melch, they have, I'm sure I'm Melch. Mark. Melch! Melch! <laughs> um, when yeah. Melch, by the way, when Melch lives, when Melch survives getting died. shot in this episode, it's the, it's the best. It's multi-species, multi-race, multi-gender, all that kind of stuff. It's as diverse as you know, you can get, and they're fighting against, you know, as we've talked about with um, the Bad Batch, and certainly in the Mandalorian, the faceless stormtroopers. Yeah, um, th- they have bonded together. You know, it's it's the idea that, you know, like the dark side is like going to those like Red Skywalker like metaphorical ideas the dark side is all this power combined into a source but the light is like these all these like they're going to going to last Jedi, the spark that lights all these like candles that it's it's about unity it's about coming yeah. together it's, about, it's a hundred pound rock or a hundred pounds of feathers you know like they yeah. you know or i guess 101 pounds of feathers you know because to emphasize yeah. like how much they these can. individuals can do and that's something that you see throughout the show I love that you brought up Lothal's because so many people like, uh, what is it? Is it Old Joe? Who's the the bartender on oh, Lothal? Yeah. The, Old the Joe, like, yeah. it's so much of it is about like, oh, we loved your parents. Like, you know, they were always kind. They were always good. Like, and Ryder, I forgot about Ryder. Ryder, yeah, Ryder's a great character too. For that reason, is so many of them, even the animals that Ezra has connected with throughout the show, it shows that the good that you do, the kindness that you show people does sort of bring them into your extended family uh at the end of the day and and that it if it was if it's true and right and like righteous like that it'll pay off for you that'll pay off for you later um which i think you know this is one of i think one of the strongest finales of any show that i've ever seen for that reason yeah Yeah. well i just wanted to say um you brought up like the extended found family and then i know we've already brought up like rex and gregor like a couple times but i wanted to bring them up because they for me are kind of that extra smaller scale version of this found family story um and and also bringing in that making a choice element because when gregor dies and rex is kind of like standing over him he says you know it was an honor rex to be able to choose to fight for something to fight for something that was so big that i was able to consciously make the choice to join this cause like so I just yeah love that. and and there's that episode that i um i watched very recently again um the 
missing in action. It's the from the D Squad arc, where we first see Gregor, who was amnesia ridden from the Battle of Sarish, um, and like the idea, you know, Borkus, who is his, um, who is that the the diner guy that he worked for, um, that he was basically enslaved to, which by the way is one of the best names in Star Wars. I, uh, you know, he demeaned him to think that he wasn't that he wasn't important, that he didn't have an impact. And we get to see this gradual and very subtle, but very, very strong arc with Gregor, where we see that by the end of his life, he didn't die the way Borkus and to a certain extent he did. He thought he was going to die on Apifar. Um, but he, he died fighting for something that he felt passionate about, that, 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 that people who regarded him as, an equal, not as a an underling. Yeah, and I, I I like that you know Tori that you brought that up just in the context of having just talked about Bad Batch because we see so much of a how you know literally how their choices were taken with the chip and everything, but also mm-hmm. um, just this idea that it yes the chip is a literal like taking of choice, but just thematically in Star Wars that there's so many types of villains in Star Wars, be they dark side or not, that try to make it seem like you don't have a choice and i think that that's a big lesson for for the ghost crew and for the people of Lothal. um that everybody you know coming from their most broken points i mean a key member of this found family in the end is is alexander callus who we haven't talked about uh <laughs> who's just one of my favorite rebels characters and how yeah uh, it might be in the first part again because there there there's you can't watch you know you gotta watch them together but um he tells uh, Price in one of my favorite lines, which is the day I betrayed your empire was the day I stopped betraying myself and how, you know, he had been, yeah, he'd been groomed to be this perfect Imperial agent and all these things. And he had this bright future ahead of him with the empire. Um, and he threw it all away because he realized like, there is always a choice. There's always, always, always a choice in the end. I mean, maybe you make too many wrong ones and you don't really get to come back. Like, I don't think that, if you know if palpatine was like never mind i'm good like i don't think that you know you should be able to <laughs> you should be able to just redeem yourself willy-nilly but so, so then again it's like yeah i was thinking about this because i was thinking about um that um fortune cookie that so uh jacob and i were making fortune cookies and i was doing one for return of the jedi and my fortune cookie was no one is redu- beyond redemption and i thought about that palpatine example but then I thought about the, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, but Palpatine wouldn't get a chance for redemption. And then I'm like, yeah, Eli, he wouldn't. But that's because Palpatine's character can never, like, just by the, the defining aspect of his character, is never going to make that choice. He 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 yeah. has repeatedly shown to us that he cannot make that choice. But uh, going back to your point about Callus, which I think is a great point. And, like, at this point, I feel like in this episode specifically, they're, like, beating us over the head with found family a little bit because they literally tell us in the epilogue, Sabine says that Zeb brings Callus to Lyrasan to show him that there are still Lasat alive, a world where he was welcome as one of them. Yeah. Literally as one of them is the line, um, which is, you know, yeah, that's true. And then with with Jason, also in that epilogue, it's the idea that sometimes your found family carries on, literally. You know, like found family becomes blood family. 
yeah. and how they're intermingled. And like Jason Sandula, the, the hint that he's force sensitive, you know, without us showing like that he's a lot like his father. Um, you know, it's like, it, it's also that idea too. And, and then Sabine adopts through Ezra, the cause of Lothal becoming that guardian, you know, that's been watching over it as it rebuilds before she leaves with, uh, Gandalf the White. I mean Ahsoka. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. Um, Star Wars is good. Star Wars is good. Star Wars is good, isn't it? Um, I, I definitely uh, agree with that sentiment. Uh, Tori, do you have anything else, or Alden, of course, um, before we get on to some speed no. round questions? I don't think so. We're, we're going to start with a really tough one. Uh, so, who is your favorite Star Wars character? Uh, Boba Fett. Solid choice. I'm actually kind of surprised. I don't mean to slow it down on the first question. No, he's times. always my number one. He's always. I thought my, you were gonna go side. A one day one. I love side dearly, but Boba goes yeah. like back to my childhood. So. That's fair. I got to you know. Look, Sai was gonna be in there, but you know, Boba. She's in the running. She's Bo- definitely Boba's, in there. Boba's gonna be in that number two slot, but sometimes fate steps in to rescue the wretched. <laughs> True. Yeah, <exactly. laughs> I love that quote so much. It's oh, it's fantastic! Best. It's one of the best. I I, I feel so incredibly blessed that the Mandalorian season two gave us not one but two different stand-ins for sometimes things just work out that way. Yeah. The other one is that <laughs> yeah. um, Cobb Vanth one, which I use way too much. You know, both sometimes both sides on a wall for us to you. I want that on a pillow immediately. I'm getting like, it. I'm not even kidding. I'm going to get one of these times. I don't know if it'll be celebration or what, but I'm going to get a tattoo of a womp rat with suns shining on its tail. <laughs> That's so I'm doing it. That's great. Fantastic. Okay. Um, what is your Star Wars movie ranking or if you don't have a specific ranking you can do a top like full five order you want full order full, full order go off go off go off oh, jesus okay um okay rogue one is number one um okay. phantom menace is number no no sorry i messed up already <laughs> rogue two. no this i have like a top three and the rest are kind of like interchangeable but i will try and do the full ranking for you so rogue one's number one Empire Strikes Back is number two. Um, the Phantom Menace is number three. That, like, doesn't change hardly ever. Um, I would say number four for me is probably... Um, oh, God. <laughs> uh, I guess what The Last Jedi. You? I really like The Last Jedi. Yeah. Number four, The Last Jedi. Um, five, I would say um, Return of the Jedi. Six, oh, A New Hope. Oh. Our lists are so different. I love it though. I love really? it. Sorry, Sorry, I, love I, I internally sighed as I I saw my beloved Return of the Jedi putting uh, Okay, listen. I like it. That's the thing though. Is I really, truly, I have the three that are like my standout favorite, yeah, yeah. and then it's kind of like everything else. And it's like four A, four B, four C. Like I like I, everything I, else. It's I just... love the Phantom Menace. Love you know that movie is like again, yeah, yeah. It's not as high on my list as it used to be. It. it a long time ago was my favorite Star Wars movie. A long time ago. And honestly, there are some days where it kind of switches places with Empire. I'm not going to lie. They kind of move around a little bit. Rogue One's always number one, though. That doesn't change. That's yeah. always the same. But yeah, oh, where was I? I don't even know. Oh, I didn't even put Solo in here. Okay, can we quit? Because I don't... 
You got a top three or four. You got a top three. Yeah, top Solo, three. We're good. We're fine. Around We're fine. A lot because Solo has really become. We like, got Rogue One. We got. Comfort. We got Rogue One. We got uh, Phantom Menace. The Empire. Last yeah. Jedi and Solo is what I'm going with as your top five. Good. Good. Which is, a, which is a solid top five. Solid. Um. Uh. What is your favorite non-movie Star Wars media that people are missing out on? Can't be a movie, but anything else. That people are missing out. out on? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Go, make your elevator pitch. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, yes. Okay. I know what um, you're going to say. Very I know what you're say. You do? What am I going to say? I, I, what am I going to say? I think that you're going to grab the dressing the galaxy. Oh, no, that's actually a good idea, actually. No, it was a different book. It was a different book. Dressing Galaxy is the best. Where is she? Oh, no, she's in the bookshelf. Sorry. Um, that I highly recommend, but it's very expensive because it's hard to find it. Um, yeah, that's probably, you're right, that's probably my favorite. Sorry, I immediately thought of just, like, stories, not, like, quote-unquote, like, what I would consider reference materials. You just said media. Going, that's a fair I, point. I did. Okay. I've never actually had anybody answer anything not story related, so I assume I'm gonna I'm gonna do both because I actually had a story related one. Yeah. But dressing a galaxy is the best if you're into costumes. Like that's it, baby. Like I love looking at just beautiful, nice, just high definition, beautiful pictures of most of the prequel costumes and of course a ton of Padme costumes because those are like my favorite um so and and lots of little blurbs on the side about even um original trilogy costumes as well like it's a really nice pairing of old and new I love it it's beautiful it's also massive (laughs) it's great um I guess my story based one which is what I immediately went to was um I'm a big fan of the Canto Bite collection of stories that I feel like nobody has really read. Um, The Canto Bite collection of stories is great. It's just like really weird aliens running around Canto Bite doing like CD stuff. It's great. Yeah, you get um, Kedpin Shockclop gets like a Yeah, Kedpin gets his own little story. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you like if you like the little one-eyed guy in the bathhouse who is having a rough day. (laughs) That's a really good call. Uh, Laura so, Kelly loves those. Yeah, but I was actually gonna mention Laura. I was gonna. Me- I'm like, oh, I, I, I hope she's read that because I know that's yeah. her favorite, one of her favorite background characters. Speaking of background characters, what is your favorite Star Wars background character? I guess probably size Noodles, Yeah, Solid but it's hard choice. too because I also really. I mean, I guess. I mean, is she really a background? I mean, I guess mainly a background. I was gonna like draw the line like a Boba Fett thing because like he's not a background character anymore. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. It's like you know, Sykes is kind of originally because I was like, oh, I also like Ara Singh's also up there for me. They're both really traditionally background characters, but as time has gone on, they've gotten more. It's kind of hard because I feel like that happens with a lot of characters. (laughs) Sai appeared in one episode. Of but she Wars. was an important part of that episode. No, absolutely, absolutely. I, I felt like that's where I, <laughs> that's where I draw a line. That like, like that's the thing with me and Ochi right now. I'm like, can I still call him a background character if he's been the main character in like five comics? I'm like, probably still can. Yeah, yeah I, um, I mean, I'm with you. It's a small enough piece of media. They're not, yeah, you know, they're not Luke Skywalker. Right. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of uh, interesting Star Wars characters and species, what is in your opinion, the coolest Star Wars species? Oh, very hard, but I think I'm going to always come back to my tried and true, which is um, the Mon Calamari. I love them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just beautiful. 
No, I, I, I love the Mon Calamari. Uh, can't go wrong with Mon Calamari. Um, what is your favorite Star Wars planet? <sighs> okay, so... I have two for a reason. I feel like everyone picks Naboo. Let's be honest, Naboo is like the best. But I really love Bespin as well. So I so I try to say Bespin to shake it up because I feel like in a lot of ways, like people be like, where would you go if you could go anywhere? Everyone says Naboo. So I'm like, let me say Bespin. Th- this was actually, I love funny Cloud City. bring that up. L- the first question, so the Jacob wrote this question as, um, originally as, where would you go um, on vacation? And everybody chose Naboo or all the Well, because it's and, the best. Hello. Yeah, and 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 we were like, gorgeous. After about ten, uh, after about five or six guests we had on, we're like, we gotta change it up. We gotta say, change that. <laughs> Don't pick because like, room. yeah, because like I go, I go Naboo or all on, but like you know, cool Star Wars plan. I go like something like. I didn't say Naboo. I was I was a real one when I asked. What did you say? <laughs> I don't actually. Say? I don't actually I, remember I, I what I said, remember. but I'm I'm pretty sure I would have said the Forest Moon of Endor. Endor's a good one. And there was a good one. Um, uh, if you had a job in the Star Wars universe, what would it be? Okay, so I go back and forth on this a lot because I have thought about this. <laughs> um, I I could see two different things. I think the I think there's a large part of me that wants to be a part of like the seedier side of the galaxy like the smugglers and bounty hunters and stuff like i would love like i think those are my favorite kinds of characters so i think i would like to maybe be in that world and so thinking about like my skills and stuff like what would i like how would i make that work as a person who just kind of like makes art for a living so i think i would be some sort of like forger or something like i would make forgeries of things interesting or because I'm obsessed with all the creatures, I would be just like a like a vet, like a <laughs> a galactic veterinarian. Yeah, or just like a like a Star Wars Jane Goodall or something. I love that. That's that's those that's, are that's those solid. are my options. Yes. <laughs> um, I um so uh, I mentioned this quote a lot. It's my favorite um, Star Wars behind the scenes quote. Um, I'm surprised we got this far in the episode without me talking about it. Hugh, probably very bad George Lucas impression. Oh yeah, you know it's it's like poetry. You know they rhyme. Every <laughs> stanza sort of rhymes with the last. Hopefully it'll work. Um, what is your favorite example of you know it's like poetry? You know they rhyme in the Star Wars universe. Does not have to be movies. It can be anything. Oh wow, that's deep. I need a I'm moment. sitting here like trying to predict all of Tori's answers before she I says them. So moment. now, now I want to. I want to know if I was right on this one. I need a moment. Oh God, just tell me what it is so I can say it. Because I, <laughs> I don't know. That's one way to do it. I that is like you one way to do it. What would you? What would you say? I think that the perfect poetry moment with Tori would have to oh, be. Oh, I know what it is. Okay, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. really? No, so you say it because it just came to me, and I'm wondering if it's what you're gonna say. Go, go. It's gotta be Boba Fett saying, "I'm just a simple man." <laughs> yeah, oh, the same as his father. No, wow, look oh at that. God, that is that up. We have just witnessed. That's it. We've just witnessed the formation of the newest dyad in the Force. We were a, a dad in, in the in the in the hype, man. We got it, Xavier style. Got that it. was that was good. That was really good. That was, yeah. Um, 
Uh, I, I remember I have a similar reaction to hearing that in the Mandalore. I'm like, he didn't. I yelled. It's it that, and then it's uh, in in the Believer when he drops the seismic charge. I was just like, <sighs> Attack of the yes. Clones fans eating good. <laughs> true. I, true. I, 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 yeah, man. Uh, if you could take one item or force power from the Star Wars universe into the real world, what would it be? One item? Oh, wow. Oh my god. That's like really hard. Hold on. I need a moment. I'm so sorry. One? Because I don't really think I want force powers, TBH. I think the only thing I would maybe go for is like force lightning, but I don't that's okay. I don't need it. Why do I feel like Alden said psychometry? Was that you or was that somebody else? I think I did say force psychometry. I think that was my answer. Because I, I was, uh, yeah, I was definitely thinking about, and I think I stand by that. I was thinking about like Cal, you know, like when he plays Sears instrument and gets to play her song and stuff. Like the ability to sort of do that with objects would be cool. So, okay. So is there a limit on how big this thing is? That is an interesting question. <laughs> say no, no, just so we could hear what it was. No, I'm gonna, I, I was already glad to say no. Okay, so there's a lot of things that I would want from a Star Wars universe, but this is the one that I think this is what first came to mind. So I'm gonna roll with it. Um, the Maz Kanata statue with like the courtyard that's around. Ah. <laughs> That is. That's, that's what I an buy. item. That's I an personally, item. Personally, personally inspect all the flags. Oh, I'd, I'd go there. I'd, I'd, oh I'd, yeah. I'd do that. I'd do that. I'd, I'd, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I totally. Yeah, I can. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've technically asked you this question, um, as a write into Octo Radio, but I want to hear you say it again for personal reasons. I, uh, and because this is what we do on Star Wars in the Galaxy. Look, I'm gonna t I'm gonna show you the name of an innocent woman. She was doing her job. She hit the ship. It's not her fault that they used the decoy. It it's definitely like so hundred percent not her fault. Give me a second. I'm gonna share this screen. I need to say this woman's name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Zam Wessel. Thank you. Thank you. It's thank Zam you. Wessel. So I know the a, argument. I know what was it in like a video game or something? Was that? Like, no, it's Sam Wessel. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we got a message from Fake George Lucas on our last episode saying it was Wazell, um, but you know it, that's not gonna. I don't know. Credit. Fake George Lucas um, sounds fake. Yeah, uh, it sounds fake. Um, um, anyway, before we end, um, I would like to ask the both of you um, pl plug your stuff. Plug all your stuff. Um, okay, so you can find uh, the Octo Radio podcast feed everywhere you get your podcasts, and that's including Apple, Spotify, uh, Amazon, Stitcher, Anchor, all those good uh, platforms, uh, but particularly Apple, because that's where you can leave us some reviews. We really appreciate that and any type of feedback, as well as for uh, In a Galaxy. I'm sure you're going to say that, but I'm going to say it for you anyway. Uh, that's at <laughs> a -H 
A-H-C-H-T-O Radio, and that includes uh, my show, Octo Radio Proper, where you can hear all the interviews I do with people from across the Star Wars space, people that have helped make things in Star Wars, people that have written Star Wars, people that are Star Wars fans, and then as well as uh, The Mandatorian Creed, our wonderful sister's show, which has just wrapped up its second season, and Tori uh, can tell you a little bit more about that and where you can find uh, her personally. You can find me at AD underscore Strider on Twitter, uh, but to pass it over to Tori, um, and you might be able to tease the third season, which I think we locked down. Uh, yeah, I'll just say it. I don't care. I'll yeah. say it. Okay. Um, do it. So I don't care. I'll do it. Um, the Mediterranean Creed is a uh, show that is comprised of short series on specific Star Wars topics. And yeah, so we had my first uh, Star Wars weekends, and then we did lightsabers, and now we're going to do drumroll, please. Okay. <laughs> droids um so droids is gonna be the next one so i'm really excited about that excited to get into that um but yeah you can follow the mandatory creed on the octo radio feed as alden said um and you can follow me on the internet at the mandatorian on twitter and instagram and then you can also check out my shop creature cartel um that's creature cartel on etsy um and creature cartel and creature cartel shop respectively on uh twitter and on instagram all of these links will be in our description of the show and the show notes. Um, in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode of Star Wars and the Galaxy, the first episode of A Theme Between Themes. We already have plans in the work for more of these episodes um, with different guests and different topics and all that kind of stuff. But um, next week is going to return back to our regular show format. Jacob and I will be back talking about three of the most consequential episodes, in my opinion, of The Clone Wars. Um, overlords altar of mortis and ghosts of mortis um it that's gonna be a fun one in the meantime until then you can uh find us apple podcast spotify breaker anchor google podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast we will be there uh, you can follow us on twitter at in a galaxy pod instagram at star wars in a galaxy um you can check out our youtube channel just star wars in a galaxy um, please email us at slvinagalaxy at gmail.com with your hot takes and questions and six degrees of Star Wars. Um, and, of course, as Alden previously mentioned, leave uh, us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or any other services that leave ratings and reviews. It really does help in our visibility. Um, and I think that's going to be it. Until next time, may the Force be with you. Always.